welcome to the New Testament Review, where every episode we discuss a classic piece of New Testament scholarship. I'm Ian Mills. And I am Laura Robinson, and we are PhD students in New Testament studies at Duke University. This week we're discussing Wayne A. Meek's article from 1972, The Man from Heaven and Johannine Sectarianism. Meek's article is an attempt at explaining the ways in which John both stands apart from the synoptics in focusing on the identity, particularly the the ascent and descent of Jesus, but the identity of Jesus and its general peculiarity in that it's full of contradictions and repetition and Jesus being willfully obtuse. He's going to make a proposal about what John here is doing theologically and sociologically that gives rise to this curious-looking gospel. What Meeks is primarily responding to is scholars like Bultmann, who have historically been most interested in the question of where John got this idea of Jesus as the descending and ascending redeemer, this man from heaven who comes down to earth and redeems his own out of it. Uh, Scholars like Bultmann were primarily interested in the question of where John got this idea. Did he get this from a pre-existing Gnostic Redeemer myth, or did he get it from Jewish mythology? And what Meeks is interested in is, can we steer this question away from source-critical questions, asking where John got this idea? How does this myth actually function in the Gospel of John? What does this show us about the theology and soteriology and even ecclesiology of John's community? Rudolf Bultmann's solution to what he calls the Johannine puzzle is that John is responding to Gnosticism. So let's back up. The Johannine puzzle is that Jesus spends the entire gospel talking about how he is the one who testifies the truth. He is the one who's come down from heaven and will return to heaven and is presenting to them some truth, which he keeps insisting is true. And the reason it's true is he's ascending and descending. And Boltman says the puzzle is that Jesus never actually says anything. All that Jesus ever tells them is that he is the one who is telling them things. And Boltman says the solution to this is that this is the gospel of John demythologizing the Gnostic myths. So he points to sources like the Mendean texts, the Apocryphon of John, where we have this figure that descends from heaven, reveals this gnosis to the elect, and then ascends to heaven and models for the elect their own spiritual journey because they are these sparks of divinity that have been entrapped in matter and then are freed by this revelation to reascend. Boltman says the Gospel of John is imitating this and taking out the the mythology of determinism and taking out the mythology of this divine spark, and he's stripping away everything except the focus on Jesus as the exclusive revealer. As Boltman envisions this, John is saying, no, there are no other revealers, there is no other gnosis, all that matters is Jesus who descends and reascends, and Christian's placing of faith in him. What Meeks points out is um, some possible problems with Boltman's solution to this, the Gnostic text that Boltman uses to understand John and sees John responding to are actually quite late and are actually probably later than John themselves. Um, the other thing, too, is that it's hard to see that John is doing something really similar to imitating the whole Gnostic Redeemer myth structure because there's no actual descent in the Gospel of John. Like, we could kind of say the prologue is like that, but the prologue isn't really narrative. The whole narrative of the story takes place on Earth once Jesus' descent to Earth from Heaven has already happened. Furthermore, lots of people have pointed out that Boltman's Redeemer myth is itself an abstraction that's not really present in any one document. This isn't just William's argument that there is no such thing as Gnosticism. This is to say that there is no simplified Redeemer myth that you can find apart from a vast, wide-ranging mythology 
which is not used negatively in this sense, of gnosis and the creation of the universe and things like that. Meeks also wants to reject a, another solution to the Johannine puzzle, which is itself a response to Boltman. A number of scholars have suggested that John is not responding to Gnosticism, but is a midway point between primitive Christianity and Gnosticism. That John is sort of the first stages of this uh, redeemer slash revealer myth. Uh, so this view is associated with Helmut Kester and Jack Suggs, who see a refocusing on knowledge and revelation, and that we have in the Gospel of John sort of a naive docetism, sort of Jesus isn't really fully human, and Jesus' death doesn't really matter as much as the fact that he is revealing knowledge to Christians. Meeks will say there is something to be said for this view. We'll talk about that at the very end, but it's not simply nascent Gnosticism. So, let's get into Meeks' solution. One thing that Meeks wants to start with is the fact that what he calls the Johannine puzzle, the idea that Jesus keeps revealing that he is the revealer, this isn't the only puzzle in John. John has a lot of things about it that are really puzzling and really contradictory and really hard to understand. And it actually seems like the author is doing this on purpose. This isn't a case of an author being uh, careless or um, or convoluted. He actually seems to be deliberately introducing these paradoxes and contradictions, moments of willful, being willfully obtuse or repetitive into the narrative. And sometimes John is also really anachronistic. Uh, one great example of this is John 3.13, where Jesus describes himself as the one who has ascended into heaven. Well, you know, this is, happens while Jesus is still on earth. Jesus hasn't actually ascended into heaven yet. Instances of, uh, of contradiction in the gospel and paradox in the gospel. Uh, one really good example of this is whether or not Jesus testifies to himself. So in John 5, 31 to 32, if I bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There's another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. But then John in 8, 14 says, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I came from and where I'm going. So does Jesus testify about himself? Well, if he did, it wouldn't be true because someone else testifies about him. But then if he did, then it would be true because he knows where he comes from. And then a little um, later in John 8, 18, I am the one who bears witness about myself and the father who sent me bears witness about me. So we get it again. Yeah. So does Jesus testify about himself? It's, we get different answers throughout the, throughout the text. Uh, another example of contradiction in the gospel is, is judging, whether or not Jesus judges. John 8, 15 to 16, Jesus says, you judge according to the flesh, I judge no one. But even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I who judge but I, the Father who sent me. So you, you have in the same two verses, verses 15 and 16, Jesus saying that he doesn't judge, but then that he does judge, and then the Father judges. It's just, you know, it's all over the place. And if you trace the theme of judging through the rest of the gospel, even later in the same chapter in verse 26, and then elsewhere, Jesus will repeatedly say, I do not come to judge, or I have come to judge. And previous authors had sought to explain this in terms of drawing from different sources. But when you look at the passage the Lord just read in John 8, the author seems to be aware of these conflicting and contradictory messages, and it seems to be part of the point. And he's okay with having them just lie right alongside each other, yep. that he's okay with contradicting himself in the same sentence. And John is full of this sort of thing. We have shifting metaphors, we have blatant contradictions, like in John 16. Earlier in the same conversation, which is in John 13, Thomas asks Jesus, where are you going? And then fast forward three chapters, and Jesus says, why is no one asking me where I'm going? 
We have strange shifts in action. The brothers of Jesus ask him, are you going up to the festival? Jesus says, no. The very next verse is, and Jesus went up to the festival. You read John's conversations, like with Nicodemus in chapter three, or the blind person in chapter six, um, and you just want to bash your head against a wall. Uh, Jesus is changing the subject. He's not answering people's questions. He is playing off of puns. The way Meek says it is, it's like Jesus is playing a language game with his interlocutors, that it, the rules for which are constantly changing, and that neither we nor the interlocutors have any hope of grasping. Meek's solution to this, and what he pays the most attention to in the gospel, is, uh, is John 3, the discussion between Jesus and Nicodemus. Meeks argues that the conversation with Nicodemus is virtually a parody of a revelation story. In some ways, it looks a lot like what we find in the Testament of the Patriarchs or the Testament of Moses or an Apocryphon of John, or even like Greco-Roman Anabasis and Catabasis literature, where you have figures ascending or descending into the supernatural realms and bringing back knowledge to reveal. Nicodemus, like all the interlocutors in this literature, is the unwitting foil for Jesus to expound these mysteries. He, of course, doesn't understand, which gives Jesus an opportunity to, well, we would expect Jesus to go on long diatribes about the netherworld or the spiritual realities or who God is or the future eschatology in a lot of Jewish literature. But instead, Jesus doesn't give any information other than the fact that he is the one giving information and that his giving of information is a judgment on the world, a, a crisis. That is, those who reject Jesus's revelation that he is giving revelation are themselves rejected. We'll get back to them in a second. There are other conventions like the contrasting of things of the heaven and the earth and Jesus presenting a warrant for his claims that I know where I am going and where I am from. So there's some question here of what exactly is Jesus criticizing here when he's talking to Nicodemus and saying that no one has uh, seen the father except the one who has ascended and descended. The most likely subject of critique here is a not, not a Gnostic group that John's community is aware of and is trying to resist, but these traditional Jewish figures of seers and prophets, these people who have these apocalyptic visions and go see the heavenly temple and <laughs> reveal sacred geography to the earth. So ex good examples of this would be um, the Testament of Moses, the Testament of the Patriarchs, uh, First Enoch, and so forth. His evidence for that is that Jesus doesn't say, I am the one who descended and no one else descended. He says, no one has ascended except he who descended. Gnostic myths feature someone who, like Jesus, is descending from heaven, whereas Jesus is critiquing anyone who claims to have ascended. So it seems to be a critique of other human claims at Revelation, not at other supernatural descending figures. So far, so Boltman. What Meeks argues Jesus is primarily revealing is that he is the revealer. But the, other, the flip side of this is that the revelation itself is a judgment. He has this great quote, What is revealed is that Jesus is incomprehensible. The first and primary message of the dialogue is simply that Jesus is incomprehensible to Nicodemus. They belong to different worlds. So Meeks says that there is, in fact, content besides just that Jesus is the revealer. And that content is that the act of revelation constitutes a judgment on the world, and also that the revelation is true, and also that the revelation is true because he's the one who ascended and descended. So this is, as you're hopefully picking up, really recursive. 
Jesus reveals that he is the revealer and that what he's revealing is true. And the thing that, that is true, of course, is that he is a revealer and that it's true. The only addition to this is he's also revealing that the failure to accept the revelation that he is the revealer is God's judgment on the world. Bits of revela- re- revelation that aren't really comprehensible unless you know the entire gospel story front to back. You know, that when Jesus is lifted up from the earth, that he will draw people to him, or just as the serpent was lifted up in the desert, the Son of Man has to be lifted up. Everything Jesus is revealing alongside the idea that he is the revealer is basically designed to not be immediately accessible to outsiders. And even if you are a sympathetic hearer, you're not really going to get it unless you've already been initiated. Meek suggests that this Contra Boltman is additional positive content, but if you actually follow his examples, they're all simply more self-authenticating information. For instance, one of the examples of additional positive content is that Jesus will be lifted up, which in John is this euphemism that refers both to the ascension and to the crucifixion. And this is cited as warrant for the truth of Jesus' claims repeatedly in John. So once again, the positive content is merely, as Boltman suggested, a further claim that Jesus is revealer. So I'm actually not convinced that Meeks has added much to Boltman, Jesus revealing himself as revealer, except that this revelation or this act of revelation also constitutes a judgment. So if you're head spitting, uh, yeah. the second part of this article is answering the question that I think most of us would be wondering right now. Why on earth is the gospel written this way? Why right. does it make so little sense unless you already have the whole narrative in your head. Why is it so hard to find a through line through the work or to systematize what Jesus says about himself or about judgment or about testimony? Why is the book written this way? So one way of saying this is that the Gospel of John functions for the readers of John just like Jesus does for his, for the people he, that he talks to in the book. The Gospel of John is basically baffling unless you already buy it and already know the whole story and are part of a community that also agrees with this whole story. The entire purpose of this circular contradictory teaching is either you're going to be someone like Nicodemus, who is fascinated and confused, but kind of keeps sticking around to hear more of it, or you're going to be like the crowds and the crowds of Jews and John that hear this and get frustrated and basically walk off. Sort of the classic example of that is John 6, the teaching of on after the feeding of the 5,000 about Jesus's flesh and blood being real food and real drink. Either Jesus is going to keep making bigger and bigger demands of what you need to hear and comprehend and believe, and you're going to say no to that, or you're going to say yes and be completely initiated into this community. Meeks gives a very erudite academic scholarly analogy for this, all about learning Semitic languages. But my preferred way of explaining this is how... I came to view Star Wars. So before I had ever in my life seen a single Star Wars movie, I already owned multiple lightsabers, I had Star Wars action figures, and I knew the entire narrative. So by the time I watched my first ever Star Wars movie, which was probably in the early 2000s, I already knew that Darth Vader was Luke's father, that Leia was his sister. Uh, spoilers. Um, uh, I, in fact, I already knew the prequels before I ever watched an original Star Wars movie. And I think... Meeks sees John working in the same way, that the community, to understand any part of John, you have to already have a vision for the whole narrative. You already have to know who Jesus is and what he's about, and so see the, the pattern of revealer, ascension, rejection baked into the gospel, and see your community as this really amorphous, unspecified group 
who is able to accept Jesus apart from the world and apart from, uh, well, I mean, his people, which is pretty explicitly in John, the Jews. Another episode on that. We already have an episode recorded on Bauckham and gospel audiences. Um, and I am myself a little bit skeptical of this view of sectarian communities, especially if we conceive of them as geographically isolated and intellectually isolated groups. I think some of this actually might be better explained in reading John as commentary and interpretation of the synoptic gospels. And we have an episode recorded on that as well, which we haven't released. <laughs> but the point is that the gospel of John could not be used as a missionary track. <laughs> the gospel of John assumes knowledge of the whole mythic structure to be able to make sense of individual stories and sayings. Yeah. And how this relates back to the title, uh, The Man from Heaven and Johannine Sectarianism, is that what Meeks argues is that the circularity and obscurity of the narrative is both a product and a producer of sectarian forms of Christianity. Mm -hmm. That this group has this sort of, you know, in-joke way of talking, for lack of a better way of explaining it that enables them to understand these very confusing narratives because they've already been initiated into the whole story and are part of a community that keeps telling and retelling the story. Meeks concludes by throwing a bone to the school that sees John as a development towards Gnosticism. He doesn't think this is part of a trajectory that evolves into Gnosticism, but does point out that this is a play on the wisdom myth, especially the John and Prologue is a play on the Jewish wisdom myth of, of wisdom who sought a home among humans and is rejected everywhere except in Israel. And except for Jesus, is rejected everywhere, even by his own people. The cosmos can't grasp him, and even his own people reject him. But that throughout the gospel, there is this, this one group who is contrasted with those who are of the earth, with the earthly people, who do uh, latch on to Jesus and who do comprehend. And this, of course, the community is recognizing themselves here. But it's never explained where these people come from, who they are, how the, this group is somehow not of the earth, how they are able to comprehend this enigma um, is never fully explained. And Meeks says that this may have opened up the question that Gnostic myths, the, um, the stories of creation and the fall of divine spark into humanity, Gnostic myths may be seeking to answer the question that John leaves open. So in this way, actually do lead to the creation of noetic and highly deterministic groups of Christianity, which we group together as Gnosticisms. The article is confusing because he's trying to explain why Jesus is so confusing. We must not be initiated. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, thanks so much. Yeah, thanks, and thanks for sending that one out with us. Yeah. <laughs> You can find more about us on Twitter at Newt, N-E-W-T, Review, or email us at NewTestamentReview at gmail.com. 